0: Let us now turn our Bibles to John 16 from verse 1 to 15. John 1, uh, John 16 from verse 1 These things I have spoken to you that you should not be you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming Excuse me. Yeah. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Word of the Lord. Let us open, read, uh, turn to the Belgic Confession, Article 11. Article 11 of the Belgic Confession, page 503 of the Book of Praise. Article 11 The Holy Spirit, true and eternal God. We believe and confess also that the Holy Spirit from eternity proceeds from the Father and the Son. He is neither made, created nor begotten but he can only be said to proceed from both. In order, he is the third person of the Holy Trinity, of one and the same essence, majesty, and glory with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God, as the Holy Scriptures teach us. Let us now finally turn to our catechism reading. Lord's Day 20. Lord's Day 20, question and answer 53. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, he is together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. Second, he is also given to me to make me by true faith, share in Christ and all his benefits, to comfort me, and to remain with me forever. Dear congregation of the Lord, Christ is now in heaven, seated at the right hand of God. Has he abandoned the church? How does he rule the church from heaven? The church is the body of Christ. How is she united with him, the head? The answer is Christ rules the church through the Spirit, and she is united with him through the Spirit. And that's what the Bible teaches, and that's what the church confesses. We have read that in the Belgic Confession. Therefore, my assignment this afternoon is to preach the word of God, that's summarized by Lord's Day 20 of the Heidelberg Catechism. The sermon's theme is, Christ is always with his bride. He has sent the Holy Spirit. Christ is always with his bride. He has sent the Holy Spirit. We see two points. First, the Holy Spirit is God, and the Holy Spirit exalts Christ in the church. The Holy Spirit is God, the Holy Spirit exalts Christ in the church. Our first point the Holy Spirit is God. Here the catechism confesses that the Holy Spirit is together with the Father and the Son, the true and eternal God. What does the catechism mean? Does the catechism say that the Holy Spirit is a force like the Jehovah Witness? No. Does the catechism say that the Holy Spirit is a spirit that Christians Produce when they gather? No. The catechism confesses that the Holy Spirit is God, that he is equal in nature and dignity to God the Father and God the Son. The Holy Spirit shares in the infatomable intimacy existing between the Father and the Son. Where does the Catechism get this teaching from? To see, let us open our Bibles in Matthew 28, Matthew 28 verses 18 to 20, Matthew 28 from verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Amen. So in this passage, Jesus appears to the disciples and gives them the great commission. What do you notice with the name with the word name? Jesus is giving three names, but he says, baptize in one Name. Why? Because Jesus is saying, baptize in the name of the Trinitarian God. One God, three persons or subsistences. The three divine persons are so united together that they carry one name. The Father is a person, the Son is a person. It follows that the Spirit is also a person. Next, let us open our Bibles in Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17. Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17. This is... The baptism of Jesus. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting a upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So what do we learn from this passage? In this passage, we see that God the Son, Jesus, is getting baptized. God the Spirit, as a dove, comes and rests on Jesus, and God the Father speaks from heaven. What do we understand? We understand that the three persons of the Godhead are intimately united to the point of carrying a single name, and yet, They are also distinct. Let us open our Bibles a third time on this point. In 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16 Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? I will read also the next verse If anyone defies the temple of God God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy which temple you are Here, the Apostle Paul is warning the Corinthians because they had a wrong understanding of what the church is. Consequently, they had divisions among them. Paul is telling them that the church is God's temple and that God will take revenge on anyone who harms his temple, the church. Why is the church God's temple? because the Holy Spirit indwells the Church. Thus, we understand that the Apostle Paul is using the name Holy Spirit and God interchangeably. In other words, the Holy Spirit is God. So when we synthesize, when we put together the three passages that we have read so far, the passage of the Great Commission where Jesus speaks of the name of the Trinitarian God then the passage of Jesus' baptism where we distinguish between the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and finally this passage in which the Apostle Paul calls the Holy Spirit God when we put all those three together, what do we understand? We understand that the Holy Spirit is God just like the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit shares in the transcending intimacy with the Father and the Son. All three persons of the Godhead have life in themselves, yet they have always been together. The Father has never been without the Son, the Son has never been without the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has never been without the Father. And that's why, although distinct, they carry one name. Therefore, the Catechism is right when it confesses that the Holy Spirit is together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. Now, you might be asking to yourself, Oh, this is so complicated and confusing. I I am here to hear the Gospel. Yes, it is complicated, but it is very much important to understand for our salvation. Let me ask you this question for example. How do you know that God loves us without expecting anything in return from us? How do we know? We know that God loves us without expecting anything in return Of course, we say because he sent his son, Jesus Christ. But before that, he could send his son, Jesus Christ, for us because he is a triune God. From all eternity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have loved each other perfectly. God in the Trinity is self-sufficient. He does not need anything in the creation to satisfy his emotional needs. And because a Trinitarian God is self-sufficient, the Father could afford to sacrifice his son for wretched sinners like us, people who will never be able to pay him back. And this is the God of Scripture, the one that we all need to have. The Trinitarian God is the one who saves for his own namesake. He guides you in path of righteousness for his name's sake. He is the one who says, And you shall know that I am the Lord when I deal with you for my name's sake, not according to your evil ways, nor according to your corrupt deeds, O house of Israel. The Trinitarian God is the one who says, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your birth. Carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he, and to your gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, I will carry and will save To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we might be alike? Dear people of God, there is no other God like the God of Scripture, like the Christian God, like the God that we confess. The the God of Islam, for example, compared to our God, is a Unitarian God. What does it mean? It means that the God of Islam is a single person. No father, no son, no Holy Spirit. Simply God. What does this imply? It implies that the God of Islam, for example, could not love before the creation. He could not communicate before the creation. It is a God who is not self-sufficient like our God. It is a God who needs your service. In other words, the God of Islam is an idol just like all the other false gods. There is only one true God, the Trinitarian God of the Bible. And the Holy Spirit together with the Father and the Son is true and eternal God, like the catechism, confesses. Further, the Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity who applies to us, the Church, the love of the Trinity. By the Holy Spirit, the Father loves you as much as he loves Christ. By the Holy Spirit, Christ loves you as much as he loves the Father. And so by the Holy Spirit, the entire Trinity loves the Church as much as the persons love themselves. How does the Holy Spirit then communicate the Trinity's love to the Church? The Holy Spirit does so by exalting Christ in the Church. So let us see in greater details how the Holy Spirit exalts Christ in the Church in our second point. The Holy Spirit exalts Christ in the church. We read, second, he, meaning the Holy Spirit, is also given to me to make me by true faith share in Christ and all his benefits. What does the catechism mean? When the church confesses that the Holy Spirit is given also to me, she confesses that the Holy Spirit is given not only to other people, but also to you. In other words, the Holy Spirit indwells you. He resides in the church in the hearts of all those who belong to Christ. Do you remember that passage? of 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16 and 17 that we, we saw in our first point. There the Apostle Paul was warning the Corinthians not to destroy the church because the church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. At the community level, we are the living stones that the Holy Spirit uses to build a spiritual temple to God. Why are we living stones because the Holy Spirit is in us. Our bodies have become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Although we were dead in our sins and trespasses, He made us alive in Christ by transforming our dead hearts, the hearts of stone, into hearts of flesh. We are born again people. We are spiritual people Holy Spirit indwells people. So, dear congregation, remember that when the devil, the world, and your flesh are tempting you, telling you that you will find joy in sinning against God, remember that you are born again by the Holy Spirit. Yes, you might find a superficial joy at best, but it will turn into bitter joy lemon why because you are born again when you start becoming indifferent toward the church when you become prompt to criticize the church when you start focusing also only on your needs and not on the needs of your brothers and sisters remember also that the Holy Spirit that the church please is the temple of the Holy Spirit The Holy Spirit is given to you and the Holy Spirit is given to the entire church. We also confess with the catechism that the Holy Spirit is given to you to make you share in Christ and in all his benefits by true faith. What is true faith? Catechism students, I'm sure you all know this. True faith is a sure knowledge whereby I accept as true all that God has revealed to us in his word. At the same time, it is a firm confidence that not only to others, but also to me, God has granted forgiveness of sin, everlasting righteousness, and salvation out of mere grace, only for the sake of Christ's Merit. True faith is a gift from the Holy Spirit which we receive when we hear the gospel. Just as it is written in Romans 10, 17, faith comes from what we hear and that we hear the word of Christ. Thus, faith is the Holy Spirit's instrument to unite us with Christ. Such a union goes beyond our understanding. Jesus illustrated in the Gospel of John with the parable of the vine and the branches. There Jesus says that he is the vine and we are the branches. Just like the branches cannot live alone but depend on the tree for everything we depend on Christ for everything. The Holy Spirit has grafted us into Christ. He has incorporated us in Christ to the point that we are now the body of Christ. We have been crucified with Christ, as the Bible says. We are no longer living, but Christ lives in us. And the life that we live in the body, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Stated otherwise, we are in Christ. Christ's history is our history. His obedience, our obedience. His righteousness, our righteousness. But such union is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is a mysterious work, but we embrace it by faith. Because scripture speaks of it. And because in light of scripture, we see the fruit of that work in our lives. We have a knowledge by revelation, meaning from scripture, and we have also an experiential knowledge when we see how the Holy Spirit is working in us. So what are some of the objective, objective fruits of that spirit-worked union with Christ? Let us see two of them on which we can put our fingers. The first of those objective fruits of the Holy Spirit work in us that we have is the comfort that we receive from the Holy Spirit. Each one of us can testify of the comfort that we receive from the Holy Spirit in times of trials and temptation. Why do we look for consolation in scriptures when we suffer? Why do we have great expectations at the Lord's Supper? Because we know that somehow we receive comfort, encouragement, and motivation to persevere in faith. That comfort comes from the Holy Spirit. But it's not all. The Holy Spirit also gives us comfort concerning the life to come. Scripture says in Ephesians 1.14 that the Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance. This means that the the, the portion of the Holy Spirit that we have today is only a small sample of what we will get when Jesus will come back. At that time, the Holy Spirit will comfort us beyond measure, beyond understanding. And he will make us at that time experience the eternal Sabbath that God has reserved for us in Christ. So that was the first fruit, the first objective fruit, our comfort. The second objective fruit It is sanctification. What is sanctification? Sanctification is a process by which we become more and more like Christ, more and more devoted to God. If you are old enough, you can look back and see what the Holy Spirit has been doing in your life. You can see that many things that you considered in the past as little sins, are now big sins to you. You can see in your heart an increased hatred for what God hates and an increased love for what He loves, an increased love of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one realizing that in your heart. If you are young, you can see an increased interest in the things of God, a desire to have a deeper understanding a desire to make your profession of faith before the church, that too is an aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit, an aspect of sanctification. No matter your age, you can see that the more you apply yourself to the things of God, the more you have the power to say no to sin, the more you have the power to walk in freedom, freedom to obey God, freedom to worship in spirit and in truth. That freedom is provided to you by the Holy Spirit. Just as it is written, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Let us recapitulate, let us summarize what we have seen so far in our second point. We saw in our second point that the role of the Holy Spirit is to unite us with Christ and to exalt Christ in the church. How does he perform that work of exaltation? At the community level, the Holy Spirit makes us the temple of God. At the personal level, he makes us living stones for that spiritual temple. He also exalts Christ in us by comforting us in trials and temptations and also by sanctifying us. What do we understand from this? One of the things we understand, we understand many things, of course, but one of the things we understand is that the so-called charismatics of today are wrong. What does charismatic mean? Charismatic comes from the Greek word charisma, which refers to the spiritual endowment that the Holy Spirit gives. Nowadays, we use the word charismatic to refer to those churches whose worship focuses on the manifestation of the gift of the Spirit, such as speaking in tongues, doing miracles, and receiving healings. But do those people deserve such a name does that truly deserve the name charismatic does that truly focus on the holy spirit and his gifts in a biblical manner the answer is no they do not why why do i say that let us see who is exalted in those churches Is Christ exalted in those churches? No, but miracles, speaking in tongues and the so-called prophecies and spiritual experiences are exalted. Is the word of Christ taken seriously in those churches? No, the so-called prophecies and experiences are elevated even above the word. People's imagination are said to be God's word. And so one question that can follow is, who are then the true charismatics? In the biblical sense of the term, we, the reformed people, are the true charismatics. Why? Because we truly believe in the Spirit We understand that He is divine as we have confessed. We give to the Spirit the place that His Word says He has. We submit to the Word that the Spirit has Himself inspired. We do not need drums and vocalists. The inspired Word itself excites us, and as a result, Christ is exalted among us, and His Lordship over us is clearly visible because we seek to do everything according to His Word. So, what our church confesses, reform theology, is the theology of the Spirit. We acknowledge the deep connections between the Spirit and the Word. We say with Scripture that no prophecy of Scripture was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along, as they were carried along by the Spirit. We confess from Scripture that the Spirit has not come to exalt himself, as we read in John 16. The Spirit has not come to exalt himself, but to exalt himself. Christ, And how does he uh, accomplish that exaltation of Christ? By opening our eyes to enable us to see the glory of Christ in the written word. So, if someone says to you again, Oh, you, you reformed people, you believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Scripture, instead of the Holy Spirit, do not be impressed. If you see, if someone tells you, God spoke to me, do not be impressed. Do not be impressed by the so-called spiritual experiences. Do not be impressed by the musical bands on YouTube. You have the spirit-inspired word. You have the certified, authenticated testimony that the spirit wants you to know. Do you want to know the Spirit? Read your Bible. Read the Bible. Learn the confessions. And you will know what the Spirit says about Himself. You will hear Him say to you, Son, daughter, do not focus on me. I am here to make you know Christ. Amen.